This is going to be a big one. <laughs> Welcome to Art Loves Podcast, where we make art accessible. I am Seema. And I'm Sophie. If you... And- <laughs> we're trying not to talk over each other that's gonna be all- that's a great clip right there Fuck, we can't so actually <laughs> that's so funny if you would like to support the podcast the best thing you can do is follow us on apple podcasts like really follow us on apple podcasts if you're an apple user if you're an android user you get a free pass uh and there's spotify for you buddy that's true that's true or there's overcast overcast is a really good like third party Mm -hmm. app as well Mm -hmm. uh and rate review and subscribe but of course one of the best things you can do is support the patreon it will help sophie get out of this closet (laughs) yes then she can soundproof another room our new running joke I don't know if I'll ever be done with it. Um, no, it's too good. I actually was thinking I would use it as one of the video clips that I put on the internet where it's like, get out of the closet. It's like, I can't, I'm stuck in here. Well, let us start where we always start, Sophie. Mm-hmm. Do you see any art this week? Oh, shoot. Did I see art this week? I saw the contentious, the very contentious Pablo Matic, which was co-curated by the Australian comedian Hannah Gatsby, who is she huge in Australia? Yeah, I mean, when Australians like make it in the public eye, and like mm-hmm. they aren't the same people who have been around for it. I mean, like Hannah Gatsby gets a, a lot of. There are a lot of Australians who also don't like Hannah Gatsby. I'll say. Um, mm. How come? uh butch lesbian in the public image who's uh-huh. you know, um yeah. but in so like they don't like her in the same way she is wouldn't be liked by americans if she was an american i think that actually i just want to update here i'm just double checking i think that gatsby has updated their pronouns oh um like they them seems to be on the on the wiki so oh they sorry thanks for saying that that's okay. a lot of the articles have said said she Oh, well, it doesn't really surprise me. See, that doesn't really surprise me at all. No, no. Um, so there you go. So not any more disliked than in the United States. <laughs> no. Um, so I, I've actually been following Hannah Gatsby's career for like for a very long time. I remember seeing in Queensland, maybe in 2011, I went to a really small like circle theater with my mum to see Hannah Gatsby live. And this was back when they were talking about like making jokes about private school boys uh, in Australia. Like, so I really wanted to go into this show unbiased, being like, well, what does it look like when, you know, someone who's a non-curator comes into uh-huh. a, a curatorial uh-huh. spot and uh-huh. space? Uh-huh. And it, mm, I've, ne- I've never seen anything quite like it. I think it, so before we talk about what you've seen, I think we should describe to everybody what it is. Yes. So what happened was the Brooklyn Museum decided mm-hmm. to work with Hannah Gadsby and um, two of their curators. Yes. Curated largely from the collection or exclusively from their collection? So I got talking to some of the guards and mm-hmm. I believe a lot of there was a lot that was brought in in terms okay. of Picasso's work Got but it. all of the like we'll talk about all yeah, so what they I, don't, I don't want to spoil anything uh, okay I'm just trying to be as <laughs> as um lack of interpretation so mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. happens in exhibitions is mm-hmm. you can do an in-house exhibition 
it was something very popular during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I were I've worked on a number of them where you basically just remix your collection mm-hmm. because especially when you can't bring things in, you do that for two reasons. One, because lots of stuff is in storage. Mm-hmm. Gotta bring it out. Gotta show mm-hmm. it to people. Two, it helps you do more research on your collection because you often get extra funding for exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Three, uh, it makes you rethink your collection, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, four, it's cheaper. <laughs> so yeah. it, those are the those are often the things. But, you know, in this case, I would say from, you know, reading all the stuff about the show that it was probably about the remixing their collection, reinvigorating their collection, re-enlivening their collection they mm-hmm. might have sent to donors. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a show that used in-house works um, by women and people who identify as femme, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know the full checklist, but and then um, Picasso's that could have been from loan. It looks like a couple of them. I think a couple of them were on loan because there was a, like you know quite a popular crying woman piece of his. Uh, yeah. Uh, there was enough there that made me think they had a couple of pieces on loan. Yeah. So you go in. It's a free show as part because it's largely the permanent collection. It's a free exhibition that you go into the Brooklyn Museum of Art, um, and. It was, they had Hannah Gatsby and two curators work on the show, and then Hannah did the audio tour. Mm-hmm. And it has subsequently had a lot of negative feedback in the yes. art press. And one thing I wanted to add, I don't know if I put this in the drive, is outside the exhibition, you know, where they have like everyone who's associated with it and who mm-hmm. like put funding and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the exhibition was actually organized uh, by the Brooklyn Museum in collaboration with Musée National Picasso Paris and is a part of a global presentation of exhibitions and events marking the 50th anniversary of Pablo Picasso's death. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that that's an important thing for people to understand in the context mm-hmm. of this, because mm-hmm. it's not like a floating exhibition of mm-hmm. some comedian criticizing <laughs> <laughs> dead artist i feel like we're bored let's do that yeah right <laughs> it's a part so, of a larger kind of uh scope of discussions of picasso and i think uh that's a good place to start because i've read a really great review of it so yeah. i am not in the city so i did not go see it um, gang i went through that exhibition for like an hour and a half i photographed <laughs> every single wall panel and every single piece of art and i have read them now yeah i know i, know. <laughs> I feel I like i've experienced like it 170 <laughs> photographs <laughs> i and i have a lot to say because i feel like i've been there um but i did I'm glad. um I would I really love it and I encourage everyone to go read the review by Alice Proctor, who I think is really just very smart arts writer and um, at Hyperallergic. But she mm. brought up, this is not an uncommon practice right now where you have basically a historic work in conversation with a traditional work. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I did it with um, a gallery of Ohio artists with mm-hmm. contemporary Ohio artists. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty common. And it's also actually very common to put the artist quote in a label, which is something they did very often. I yeah. also did that many, many years ago. Yeah. In galleries, I did it most, you know. So I think that those, these are, there's a lot Especially of things. Especially in group practice. exhibitions. Yeah, in group like... exhibitions for sure. And um, so all of those things are common practice. And for the Picasso 50th, there's a lot of things. And Alice brought up that Faith Ringgold was used at the Picasso Museum as the kind of um, counterpoint, I think would be a good word for Picasso. Mm-hmm. So with all of this background in uh, mind, Sophie, tell us about the art you saw this week. Wow, so 
I would say I don't really know I don't really know where to start. I would say I would start with the way that you enter this I'm just mm. gonna like talk about like my experience of walking through it, I guess. So it takes up a lot of like visual space on the ground floor as you walk into the museum. It's like very red, very bright, draws all of the attention and like all of the air out of the room, basically. Um, and as before you even walk in the front door and have your ticket scanned, there's dialogue, there's like a written piece on the wall and a figure study that I guess is a response like to studying Picasso in Gatsby's undergrad directly painted onto a wall and was kind of torn out like brought to the Brooklyn Museum there's kind of a in the audio that you can download via the like Bloomberg app they kind of talk about how and one thing that I think is kind of interesting is like their attitude to this they were kind of just like it's this was a great choice for my public image but like objectively this is very fucking funny having my work like <laughs> right next to Picasso's work and it's kind of absurd because like no I'm not an artist I'm someone who's like you know moved into like cultural criticism basically you get your ticket scanned you walk in the front doors and immediately you're in these like deep red rooms the first two rooms are really bright really kind of bright dark red and the lighting is really really low and i would say like you know when you walk into major museums and galleries and you're looking at like baroque art or renaissance paintings or you know there's this kind of like ambient kind of tone they said to it that seems to only exist around fine art do you know what i'm talking about yeah okay same as nodding yeah so i do think it was interesting the part of the thing when looking at the photographs that you bring up mm -hmm. i always find it so fascinating um how so much of what you have to follow for museum practice means that it makes what happens feel a certain way so the lights mm -hmm. are low but it's also because a number of works are on paper yeah so there was there was works on paper there was sculptures there was paintings mm -hmm. and they were they were hung really tight like <laughs> That was, was the first thing I thought. Packed. I was like, who laid out this show? It was <laughs> fucking... It, I was astonished at how much there was to look at. And I I, want, I mean, I have hung a show. I have hung shows that are meant to be tight, mm -hmm. purposely tight. And I mm -hmm. do... And we can talk about what I thought in the, in the drama section of this <laughs> podcast later. But it was hung really tight. But I'm guessing the low light was because of the fact that there was mixed media. A variety I'm assuming, of media, I'm assuming. And it... But it for for me personally as like someone who you know goes to museums and has done a lot it definitely had the association of those major kind of you know fine art rooms and i spoke to a couple of the guard i spoke to like three separate guards and security just because i love getting the insider scoop um and a couple a couple of them were kind of like yeah yeah no it was like seemed to be quite a deliberate choice to kind of have this like tone of atmosphere mm -hmm. around the work so about the art what was your yeah. favorite art that you saw in the exhibition honestly the photographer who did the cat lady uh photos i've been thinking a lot about color um and large-scale works and kind of what that looks like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um, picasso had a 
a real it was it's sort of an interest so Picasso worked a lot lot in Catalonia mm -hmm. but he was Castilian mm -hmm. and or well he was sorry he was from and was he where was he really from he studied his father worked as an um art teacher in Andalusia let's look where yeah. he was actually from though um but he was not Catalan is the point not, of this yeah and it's kind of an important one because he was very interested in the bullf bullfighting, uh -huh. which is actually something the Catalan themselves were not super into. And I remember working on, an, there was an exhibition where I worked with, there's, somebody was a scholar who had come in and he was very upset that we would celebrate that aspect of Picasso's time when he would draw bullfights. Because he said, you know, that feels like as a, somebody who's Catalan as, um, you know, it's like somebody, they're put, they've been pushing this culture on us basically mm -hmm. so but um picasso's bull was it was it was a massive symbol of picasso he used it as a he chose it, it as like a his, symbol of himself yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's like stand-in but partly mm -hmm. because of the like masculinity and power mm -hmm. of the bull and the spanishness of the bull and i think you know mm -hmm. especially because he lived he lived outside of andalusia yeah, he was born in andalusia but i don't know where his father was i don't know if he, that if he was from andalusia let's see I do not remember. No, his father was born in Malaga. Okay. Malaga, right? Is it Ma Malaga? Oh, also Andalusia. Yeah, so then they are from Andalusia, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but not Catalan was yeah. the end of my story. For Picasso, the bull, I do think like in some ways it's almost like Jekyll and Hyde. The bull does the things, mm -hmm. can do the things that he wants to do. Though, honestly, mm -hmm. given mm -hmm. the story of Picasso, he probably I mean, did like, those he probably did too. them anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I suppose one of the things that was quite striking was that you immediately walk into this establishment of his sexual violence and mm -hmm. like the his conduct as like a man with a lot of social power, essentially. And one of the things that isn't really on the wall labels that is in the audio clips, and I, I would like to play one of these. Mm -hmm. Please. It's, it's that <laughs> Gatsby really in the audio clips digs into how like art is an industry and a business and that Picasso is a, is like the prime example and at the epicenter of like this revolving door of bullshit that we see over and over and over again. There's like a real critique in there in the audio that I don't think exists in the space. And it is very it is very much in line with what we talk about. Do you want me to play one of these clips? Please. I spy with my little penis eye. So said Picasso in 1931. Not a direct quote. It's very dick heavy, this piece. It's a lot of cock. But you, but you, but you got to, but you got to separate the men from the art. Yeah. yeah, well, even if Picasso could truly have been separated from his art, the guy would have still been buried a metaphorical eunuch because his dick is all over this painting. To be clear, I don't think the Pornhub vibe is necessarily a problem. I believe eroticism is as valid as all the other isms we find in art. What I keep tripping up on is why this guy? Why are we stuck with this guy? Why do we value so highly this eroticism? This eroticism born of such a deeply, deeply misogynistic mind. Even by the standards of his own day, Picasso was understood as a misogynist. And that's France in the 1930s. You would have had to try really, really hard to get your lady-hating head above that crowd. But that was then, and this is now. And I've got other stuff to say, but look, you can look at other paintings while I chat a little bit more. I'm a, I'm a real rule breaker. 
You're welcome. In a world where Johnny Depp is still a popular hero and forward slash victim, I don't have much hope that the needle is going to move on PP at all. By PP, I mean Picasso. A cancellation of PP is an incredibly unlikely outcome. He's sold to us as the greatest artist of the 20th century. That's his selling point. Who ranks art? Seriously, who's, who's ranking it? Who is ranking this? Who profits? And where are the stats? How is the ranking done? How is it measured? I want the whole list too. Who is next? Who's number two? And who doesn't make the list? And why not? Seriously, who is ranking culture? Why don't you just watch sport? The patriarchy is so boring. The greatest artist of the 20th century just reeks of, it's all settled and it was great. It wasn't great and it isn't settled. I don't think we are doing well. Humans are not doing great. We are unsettled. I blame Picasso. That's a little joke. Or is it? I don't know. Oh, I have a question about Hannah Gatsby before we talk more art. Mm -hmm. Is that, so as an American, and I do think, you know, the Brooklyn Museum, I love the Brooklyn Museum and there's some amazing uh, teams there. Mm -hmm. Like the person who runs visitor experience there is probably one of the best in the country. Um, But I would guess that the Brooklyn Museum has vastly fewer tourists than the Met, say. Mm -hmm. So, and... And I think that well, the Brooklyn Museum... maybe up until recently, apparently, <laughs> until Hannah this, is, apparently um, this is the busiest they have been in years. Historically, the Brooklyn Museum has a lot of just people from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I find really interesting is that they hired an Australian to do this. Mm-hmm. And Such a bizarre choice. <laughs> it's like so interesting to me. And it's also really interesting to me... In the audio tour, I so I did in prep for this podcast, listen to because I actually had never I knew about Nanette, but I hadn't. So but I looked for some clips. Mm. I feel like the audio tour, her voice, like see, her accent seems even more like pronounced. Yes. She so or they I'm I'm pretty sure they, it's they. Um yeah, I can look I believe that it's an act sometimes, because I do it sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. It just seemed, it seemed like also she, uh, they sounded, they and I are the same age. <laughs> I don't sound that old. Like it sort of was huh. like, come sit. I know it's a funny, right? Uh, they're like wow, a year so older. That really than puts me. like. They're a year older than me. Um, but, uh, oh, but finished sorry, queer college and Melbourne later. is small. Um. <laughs> they're like a year older than me, but uh, finished college after. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I, f- I found. So what they were saying was very much in line with what we say. Yeah. Um, but I felt like they were exoticizing. I felt like the curator's choice of having her do this or else their choice of leaning into that accent in the audio is like they were sort of everybody on this project was exoticizing this comedian. Okay, we're going to we're going to just jump around, guys. There's no way to do this in a linear <laughs> way. I'm sorry. So you've got I'm just going to describe like walking through the exhibition a little bit more. So you go through that red space and then you kind of move into like a deep blue kind of like, you know, the blue period, right? It's supposed to be a reference to the red and the blue periods. And then you go through this space where there's like some, you know, contemporary artists mixed in with Picasso's stuff. And one of the main contemporary pieces that's there, there's an audio that goes along with it where Gatsby kind of describes it as like, you know, this is kind of how I see what art school actually is, which is like a bunch of like gender and culturally diverse kids like taking mushrooms together, (laughs) which is that big, big painting in the blue room. And then you go through there and you go into this like 
the largest of all the spaces, which is this kind of pastel blue, kind of like tone, almost like a toned down robin's egg blue space. And this is where there's like the blend of contemporary artists with Picasso and kind of juxtaposing them against each other with all of these artists having a reflective quote on their didactic panel about their own personal relationship to Picasso's work. That's kind of the bulk of the exhibition. And then the bit where it becomes kind of strange and like Gatsby's presence in the exhibition becomes kind of strange and like Netflix's presence in the exhibition becomes kind of strange. Um, you go into this like video room, which is kind of a, I just, I would describe it as a decompression space because it's darker than all the other rooms, obviously, because it's a video room. It's also a space where you can write like little, like how you felt about the exhibition cards. And it separates this like room full of essentially like women of color in art from the Picasso space. And there's like a very deliberate lilac toned room. The one that has Micheline Thomas, for example. Yeah. That's at, yeah. That's mm -hmm. at the other, that's at like the very end of the exhibition. Cause it's not a circular exhibition, like many that you might've been to in a museum where they kind of lead you in a big loop. This is just a straight line and through the like decompression room where there's clips of Gadsby's Nanette with the Netflix logo up in the top right corner, which was so bizarre to me. This purple room is just like essentially the, and the audio clip Gadsby's just kind of like, this is, don't worry, there's no Picasso in here. This is a room that's like specifically just to look at like what the people that they've essentially been advocating for, which is like, you know, people of color in museums and like women in museums and it's a room like just for that um and there's a, actually in the audio clip from that section is i think a really kind of poignant message which is that you shouldn't just be kind of like lackluster kind of going oh my gosh we need all these kind of people uh to be represented in art the gatsby's like you should you should be angry and you should be frustrated mm -hmm. that you're not seeing everything that the world has to offer and it, I'm frustrated that like the real, instead of Gatsby's actual like message and you know voice behind this, didn't make it onto the panels. And I think like they did play into that. I think you're right. There is like an exotic, I feel, I find it weird talking about white people in like exotic fashions, but I guess, yes. Like Australian whiteness is sort of exotic too. Americans in some ways yeah but it's like it's like a class it's it's I don't know if exoticization is maybe the right word but <laughs> it is a fetishization right yeah totally right? totally yeah. Like it the, does Insta the Instagram reel was like g'day come and see some art like really yeah yeah there's like there's like a um... see, that, that I was right I didn't see that Instagram reel when you when you're deciding on an exhibition the whole and I think this is where I have a lot to say in the drama section of this podcast. <laughs> but, you know, as somebody who worked with curators for quite a long time and has curated things and had lots of nasty curators, I can give names and addresses after this right in the show notes. Let's not. Um, <laughs> or not. Um, say, well, it has to have a thesis. Uh, I do think that because the general public does not spend a lot of time with art, you have to make it clear. And so you have to have some thesis to the exhibition 
that those all those art artworks align with. So what is the thesis of this exhibition? I have two I have two thoughts about this. Because in speaking to guards, I got a little bit of gas, which is that this was an exhibition put together to get money in the door. Because this was like a like a shoot your shot moment the director took. It was like a big leap. Like they knew it was gonna be a big leap. But it was a very, very deliberate choice because they're not making uh, they're not making enough money. But that's so, and I think that's an important thing. There are lots of museums that have lots of financial problems. Uh huh. You know, and lots of people who produce exhibitions to basically get butts in the door. Yeah. I hate that expression, but yeah. Um, but, but it's true. It's um. There, there so is an industry that we. It's can't an industry, right? Here. Yeah. There no is, one goes into art industry. to lose money. Actually, sadly, many people go into art to lose money. No um, one goes into gallery owning or museum. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, nobody goes into museum directing to lose yeah, money. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah. like, the people up, up here, not That's right. The whole the the Malloy is losing money all left not and right. The artists. But, um, but even with a, a money-making exhibition, and if you think about a, a, a good, well-run museum, and I have... Um, I'm I'm neither saying Anne Pasternak, the director, is uh, running it well or not. I'm independent mm-hmm. of Anne Pasternak. Any director has to think about their exhibition calendar and think that every year there better be something that's bringing in people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every year there should be something that maybe has an academic, really academic spin, you know, right? And then you mm-hmm. have the balance in between, the sort of yeah. equilibrium. Of that. The impressionists. <laughs> Good old impressionists. <laughs> um, it was even true. My views have been down so much on TikTok since the algorithm change and the uh. my, I and I get like I have had my <laughs> my interface is just like it's just wonky. Oh my god, it's changing constantly, 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 constantly. And I'm crazy. finally on the side. I'm up, my FYP is your old one. I don't know when I got to straight white guy TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday i got no. no ads yeah some of the most boring people i've ever seen straight white young guy tiktok <laughs> i was like who are these people i um, still i still get i'm still not entirely back on my f i'm not entirely where i want to be yeah. i still get some junk but like have you seen you've seen that like young guy who has like the kind of meaty chest that kind of mm. looked like titties and then like when he firms yeah. up he's yeah. like a young kind of like. I'm hoping that now that you've mentioned dude. him, I know, I I'm, I'm, I'm hoping now I can describe him. He's going to come back on my FYP. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's like bi or queer, uh, but he's like kind of muscly. But when he's okay. not, but he's like one of the first guys on the internet to be like, yeah, when muscles aren't flexed, you look chubby. Like Ooh. he's like he like comes Ooh. on the internet and like his whole body is like relaxed and he's got oh. like he's got a be- like beautiful pec muscles and all this kind of stuff. Oh. And then you know someone was kind of like. But what if you wore a dress? And now, like his whole content is just him, like <laughs> looking absolutely amazing. Oh, in beautiful I don't dresses. have him. No, I have very boring, very boring <sighs> guys. That's where I want. That's where I was, and I was on like you know disability visibility, like you know, and I've trans rights and all those kinds of things. I've been and everywhere. I just want like I miss my thirst traps because I'm getting straight people thirst traps. That's I'm what I'm like, getting. I'm getting guys, and I they're awful. And then I, there is a one guy who's. He's probably this one is not. He doesn't seem like a d- jerk douche. Um, he's some some guy that is a model who just got married. I don't know. He's like he's one of those people. You're like, wow. You're like, how did you? Were you born that way? Like, you know, he looks like kind of so like funny. very pretty 
guy mm-hmm. um and i would say he's married i keep getting videos of him in his wedding ring and his wife and i said to my daughter why do i keep getting this like born again model and my thing she's like he's not a born again and i was like oh is he mormon and she's like he's none of those things mom (laughs) (laughs) you're just like stereotypes i don't know he's like Uh he was like he's showing his wedding ring and she was like no he just got married (laughs) but i was like funny i was like why are we like (laughs) we're really pro marriage guy and i was like and i was just like making because i've like never have seen this person ever in my thing Mm -hmm. the bring i the reason i bring it up my views have tagged lately but impressionism Still I hits. Did a few, I did a. I, I did saw that. I saw that about the smoke. Yeah, yeah, no, that that hit real hard. It really did. Um, I got I got some views. I was glad. And I do think, and the reason I bring that up in all of those things about the TikTok FYP is that mm. to me, one of the things I found challenging as we move into the drama section of this, I, part of I the reason that we thesis, wanted to. By the way, okay, good. No, start, no. Uh, hold it on for a second. Yeah, hold yeah. on your brain. <laughs> so the reason that we decided to do this episode is we both got asked a lot to do this podcast episode because this show, I had so many questions about it. And I was like, I'm just doing, we're doing a podcast, uh, which I think I tagged you in a couple. But um, so this show was very different than other exhibitions for a couple of reasons. One of the biggest ones is what we just talked about. They brought in Hannah Gatsby. Now, they have definitely, you know, museums bring in people to curate as a as an opportunity. Like they bring in artists, Mm. for example, the Guggenheim did a show where they had a number of artists curate out of their collection. And then they like took it up the thing. I think that they've had like famous people curate things, you know, like it happens. Right. It's not like sort of unheard of. Um, And when they do it, they usually do pair them with a curator. Mm hmm. So some rules might be followed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing that I, who knows why they do that. Um, the other thing I think that is important to note is that said, the vast, vast, vast majority of people who are going to experience this exhibition are not the critics. And the critics had a heyday with this show. Um, the, I would say the summary of the most vitriolic was that this show had no thesis and was terrible and was a tragedy and really was an unfair some of them said an unfair critique of Picasso others said not critical in a clear way so I think what is the thesis of the show (laughs) Makes me feel like I'm in grad school, Seema. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm feeling stressed. So um, I think that this was a thesis that exists in relation to bringing people through the door, right? But it's the idea of taking one of like the pillars of the art world and recontextualizing their work, uh, like in. I don't, I feel like juxtaposition is the wrong word, but like in relation to contemporary artists, particularly women and femmes, and especially when you get to the other end of the exhibition, women of color. So, so wait, I did wonder that because the Micheline Thomas room was full of people of color. Was that room where the they all had to be in that cor- corner? It was, they weren't all people okay. of color. It was just mostly people of color. Got it. But they were, they were, it was like minorities as well. It. Were, it was mostly women of color, but there was like a couple of trans artists. There was uh, Renee Cox. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Renee Cox. Yeah, her work is beautiful. And that was where they had all, that was like all of the 
uh, that they already had at the Brooklyn mm -hmm. Museum was that room mm -hmm. up the back as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I would say that it's a recontextualization in response to like what young people and like the internet culture is looking for in museums and art criticism. I do wonder how the, what the curators did actually, because the show to me, and that, that's why I was talking about like my algorithm, you've got mm. to remember, and this is what museums never remember because they want people to conform to them when they walk mm -hmm. in the door, mm -hmm. right? And they, they, they have to remember for someone to see visual chaos is not that uncommon. No. We live in a world of visual chaos. See, the thing is, I didn't think it was chaotic. I thought there was a lot of art, and I was astonished by how big the exhibition was. But it wasn't, like, unfamiliar to me to consume that much information. That's right. That's right. People like have all. people take in a lot more information. People see visual chaos. The thing to me that I found, I don't... And I think that, I mean, I don't know what the funding was. I don't know what the story mm. is. I, I, don't, I don't work there. I don't work at <laughs> a museum anymore. I want to put all those disclaimers. I don't know Hannah Gatsby. I don't know the mm -hmm. curators. Um, but to me, what I wondered was when I looked at this and read all the stuff was what were the curators actually doing? Because mm. what I think is a challenge is that, first of all, I think visually a show should hang beautifully. Mm -hmm. You should walk in and feel either clear uh, resonance between the like visual. It visually should not feel that like what you even if you want the prevailing concept to be what's happening here. It shouldn't visually feel like a little off about weight. And I thought first it was hung like, huh, <laughs> there was a lot of things where I was like, huh, I wonder we're putting this together or because visually there was a lot of dissonance but you still want to make it so that you're pointing the eye towards things like you should have a clear mm -hmm. sight line you should there's still like actually like sort of an underlying order to the chaos mm. and that i felt like wasn't there but again i was looking at pictures the thing the bigger thing i wondered was um why was every female artist chosen to make a point mm. rather than chosen to be, to me, they, so many of the comparisons were oppositional mm -hmm. rather than counterpoints. And that's mm -hmm. where I thought, like, I can, I don't, I think the drama, a lot of the drama is just people hate change in museums. Yeah. And it, it destabilizes the authority of museums. And I think that's why well, the it's also, are. it's also the idea of like a media influencer type that's coming right. into a fine art space. That's and right. Having that's authority. Right. That's Which, right. like, if you look at how celebrities and, yeah. like, the entire upper-class culture talk about influencers and people who are in this kind of cultural space, they fucking hate it. Oh, yeah. They hate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it doesn't, I mean it doesn't really surprise me. But also, like, I, in listening to the audio stuff mm -hmm. as well, there was, like, very much an acknowledgement from Gatsby that, like, this is not the space that they play in normally mm, and it, like mm. there was very much a tone of like it's very funny to me that i'm doing this and it's and they actually say this was a very good choice for my public image and my career that's it 
and that's why I did this. Interesting. So, but like for the curators, <laughs> so the cu- this is where I think the curators though could have created more structure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I there's like oppositions where, f- for example, it was the same week that Francoise Gillot died. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I mean, the last week was when she died. So it was a hundred. She was a hundred and one. And there that. are even if the, I don't know if the Brooklyn Museum, I can look up. if They have any by her. But there's just definitely ones in the city that they could have taken yeah. a loan of. Dora Marr was yeah. not on the checklist, um, you know, and I think so. That's one thing I think that's challenging to me. The other thing mm. that I I thought the show there was a lot of mention of Dorama, but not any. Yeah, I saw I on the labels. They any... kept mentioning her. I looked yeah. for one on the list and then all the pictures on the show. So I think that to me the problem was the show. Uh, I think the thesis could have. The problem for me is I couldn't tell what the thesis was, um, but it seemed like the thesis was both Picasso was a dick. But he influenced future artists to be many of whom were women to mm-hmm. do better things. And then two, Picasso was a dick. And look at how dickish his artwork was. Mm. I guess. I mean, I think I I really struggle with it because like it's it's just not really kind like the kinds of media that have ever really gone together and i think that's one of the reasons it's really strange to read and to kind of come into contact with because i no one it's it's like i was if i was thinking about this in relation to that like kind of shitty design exhibition that i saw when my sister was here and with with jean mm-hmm. and this idea that you know when that you mode, kind right? of yeah Yeah. and how there's this idea of kind of things that you can do within a space to kind of play to kind of like common people and younger people and yada 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 but none of that traditional kind of execution of like making things quote unquote accessible was in this space this was very much like that's my other criticism so what they did was my my biggest criticism of the show is that um this institution wanted to do something that would get them a lot of press. Yeah, that's that's. But kind they of didn't what necessarily the want to do something that would move museum work forward. No, and, and that's, that's when I the spoke loss. to the and when I spoke to the guards, I was like, "Do you think that this is actually going to shift anything, or is this a two steps forward, like five steps back situation?" They were like, "Absolutely, the latter. The best we can hope for is that." maybe it influences an undergrad to like question the systems that they're working within that's it like the people and these these were it's mostly women of color on that floor too Mm. like who i spoke to yesterday and they were just kind of like across the board museum guards are the most diverse staff and museum statistics etc yeah yeah and they i they also have the best opinions about the shows and the art and i was Mm -hmm. immediately i was just Mm -hmm. kind of like okay who can i talk to because it was kind of fascinating to see how they were just kind of like, we have never really seen anything like it. We've never seen so many people through the door. We have no idea if we're ever going to see this kind of thing again. Like they, it seems very experimental. Well, and that's great. And I have to say, I have, I mean, for all the years that, for all my criticisms of museums, I love museums and yeah. I love museum practice. And mm-hmm. to and and to me, what I found sad from looking at the pictures 
um, of the galleries and you did a great job. So I have a very good sense of what is next to what. Oh is man, that I took so many photos. People were like, is she a journalist? Um, <laughs> but uh, it makes me sad because actually one of the best things about museum practice is installation. Yeah. That, you know, I mean, you do, when you do layout and when you're, you know, doing mock-ups and when you're, you are being forced and questioned and critical mm -hmm. um, of what is next to what and why. You should have clear, you should have a clear sense of when you walk in the gallery. I mean, I think the the um, Cecily Brown that's in the front, even mm -hmm. like it's right above, it looks like it's decoration. In fact, yeah. I thought I and I I actually I mean I know the gallery I know it's not decoration it mm. just looks like decoration mm. above like some above it was just like happened to be it's like you know like th it, that's the one that fits up there yeah I I do wonder like if they had more space and had spread it out if it would read really differently if there because like if it was so compacted and if there or even if there was just less. Like if well, that's were... where I think they could have edited. I think they should have done more point counterpoint clearly. Mm. You know, you know, like where you could just see this and that. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to do it like in each in each room almost. You could have had like a a panel, and then this one and this one that they should have used. Even if they meant these deep thoughts, mm -hmm. they could have used the structure of the exhibition to lead people better. To me, one of the problems was- I thought, this I is thought they tried true. and it was weak. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and I think that you have to be so beat them over the head explicit if you're yeah, going to do a show like this. I, I, and I think that there was like some kind of, and I, want, I wonder if there was some kind of like, this is so kind of straightforward and yada, 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 because we're bringing like Netflix audience into the, because that's essentially what mm -hmm. it is. You're bringing the Netflix yeah. audience through your doors. Yeah, right. Um, like, if we're kind of spoon feeding it, maybe we need to have this like metaphysical kind of, you know, ephemeral side that speaks to like the arts. And I think that's what they did with the colors and the movement through. But even rooms. the red, his room, his period was the rose period. I know, I know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I they don't, picked red I don't because think... they wanted to make a splash. I think, th I also think it was because it it is like a, a color traditionally associated with bullfighting, right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It's also you walked into that and there was like this establishment of like because red i think also is a particular choice in terms of like rage and like oh, masculine yeah. masculine anger and i really do think that what they tried to do and this was very i think this was really really evident with the colors right because it was like all picasso focused and red and then you moved into this like opening up of you know potential different things in relationship to him that's why you saw all of the dora works right um on that the blue works by picasso of dora yes yes on that blue wall um and then you're kind of like met with all of those like fawn images of like you know assaulting women while they sleep essentially mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and from he, he had a lot of very a lot, a very grapey yeah like yeah, yeah like yeah. A, an extraordinary amount mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that is actually kind of what the the kind of sense of movement through space was, right? It was this idea of going through this extreme subjugation and violence through the red into these kinds of like expressions of femininity that went and like exploded because that blue, that big blue room yeah. exploded with like feminine yeah. presence, right? And then you go through the decompression of like, 
hearing about like Gatsby's trauma yeah. and anger, and then you go into the room with the marginalized communities. It was a Got very it. deliberate but movement. See, like through, that's like, such a. So this is where I really, really dislike the show. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you are going to do something different, it if I think it fails in that it doesn't do enough for a Netflix audience to an audience who's not used to doing mu- going to museums. It's not clear enough. Mm. To an audience who goes to museums, it is not, it's too like crazy bananas. Mm. And so in some ways, because they want, they wanted to support both, they supported mm. neither. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, like when we went back to that quote we started with, mm-hmm. I do think that that could have been a framing, right? That in Picasso's time, he was also bad. He died in 1973. Yeah. Right. He only died a few years before Hannah Gatsby was born and myself as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so he he is not ancient history. And I think no. that they could have started, for example, with this idea of what Picasso was like in his era. And I mm-hmm. think I was really taken by that quote. Not every protege becomes a genius mm-hmm. because then you could have started with something like here is Picasso in his crazy glory, particularly in, you know, like in sort of his, his heyday, the, um, you know, even like the, you could, the still red period, but then also showing female artists of that era. Yeah. Who were un, unheard, right? So you're saying yeah. here's that moment and how people even then were a little bit like that we were moving into feminism. I mean, he, he, he goes through all of these periods where women's rights increase, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about it, people, women, he would live through women getting the vote. He lived through women yeah. um, getting driver's licenses, women getting um, bank accounts. Like, you know, you could have actually shown a picture of the the fact that Picasso was given special rules because he was a genius, even if other people didn't have those rules, which is something I think that people forget because Picasso, they assume Picasso was a dick because people, all guys were dicks back then. Yeah. Even like I was talking to a colleague about it and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, he was such a jerk to his wife. And she's like, weren't all men jerks to their wives back then? And like, no, he was known for being like, and I was like, no, no, violent. he was a special case. Yeah. yeah. He was yeah. A, like a special jerk to his wife. Yeah. And she was like, oh, and I, she said, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I think you could have started with that kind of knowledge mm-hmm. and then moved into this idea that that said you can. And then Hannah Gatsby also says somewhere that like you can't cancel Picasso. Right. But you cannot. Yeah. Because he exists and you can't yeah. cancel him. And he doesn't care because he's dead. So then in the second space, you could have had people like Kiki Smith, who's been influenced by him, and then shown how his, despite his misogyny, he has um, if impacted people. And it's true. And then you could have shown how contemporary art has risen above that misogyny, which is what I think that last room was supposed to be about. Yeah, definitely. Right? So definitely. then if you had that clear progression... It wouldn't have been, and then then you would have had some like, then you would have been helping the Netflix audience know what the hell is going on. It's this it's this strange thing, right? Where I can I feel like I can so clearly see like the academic side and like the public image side, like really kind of confused and wrestling with like how to treat their audience. How, in what way do we make it obvious? Because there's so many like visual things and ways that you can, you know, shift a space to kind of influence the way people are engaging. So to me, the problem is they underestimate every person who could have been walking in that door mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, because what, like, you know, museums, my, my 
once worked with a curator who I, I swear if I ever heard him say that, and it was one, I really liked this man, but if I ever heard him say, dumb it down again, I, I would have hit, smacked him in the face. Um, I'm actually not the kind of person who would smack you in the face. I would just think it, I would just picture it. Um, but um, museums are loath to dumb it down, mm-hmm. but at the same time, often think the people who walk in are dumb. We've spoken about this before. Exactly, exactly. Where it's like... Uh... It's academics refusing to leave their circle jerk academic space and writing like academics, but then thinking that every <laughs> broke Seema thinking that <laughs> thinking that like everyone is so far below them and their academic success that they have to dumb it down. And it's such like it's a betrayal to the art and the curatorial like practice to dumb it down to people but also like people are smarter than you give them credit for but also they're kind of not but i think it depends on like how you consume information right actually what to me is is that you perceive intelligence as understanding the things you say the way you say them and that's not intelligence academia to me to me the problem is that intelligence is broad Mm -hmm. communication has to therefore meet all of those different intelligences in a way that all of them will understand. So it is not that they are dumb, that they don't speak your language. You know, somebody who does not speak English is not dumb. They don't speak your language. Someone who doesn't speak academic speak is not dumb because they don't speak your language. Mm-mm. And it would drive me crazy because I talk to, you know, I, from a medical family as you, and I talk to a lot of doctors all the time who, let me tell you, I work in it. Our city is basically like I feel like run by the Cleveland Clinic and it's one of the best hospitals in the country. So Mm -hmm. they would be arguably some of the best doctors in the world. Right. So these are these are very high paid, highly paid. People are very smart smart, in their specialized fields. And if you talk and they would come into museum galleries and seriously not I would talk to them about stuff and didn't get it. These are some of the they would be arguably certainly some of the smartest people in town and they don't get it and they don't feel bad that they don't get it. This no, is the important different part. kinds of intelligence exist. They and don't that's care. Fine. What they think is we didn't do it right. That's mm. the thing that's important. That the people who are smart who come in and don't understand your content don't have the same self-esteem problem that museums do. It does not make them feel bad that they don't know what the hell we're talking about. They think we didn't do a good job telling them what we should tell them. Whereas museums perceive that the label has to be good enough that their friend who's a scholar comes in does not think that the writer is dumb. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When When they're saying, I don't want to dumb it down, I don't want people to think I'm dumb. Yeah. Because I perceive language and text to be the thing that makes me smart. God, I can't believe I paid to go to fucking art school. (laughs) <laughs> so wonderful i mean Damn i it. think it's Sorry. important i think it's important we, <sighs> we do an important we do an important thing um, i'm doing a service to the world we by are doing going a service to these to the shows world. so you don't have to <laughs> i will say i showed one of your uh, photographs because i was saying oh i have to get it up at really early tomorrow my colleagues are always like you record at what time I know. And we record very early because Sophie and I still have jobs. Um, but feel free to continue to sponsor us through Patreon so Sophie can do a little <laughs> less work and do more producing. But um, but I was showing your art to her, uh, this colleague of mine, and she was like, Oh, wait, she made that? <laughs> <laughs> and I was it was one it was one where you could see it being um Oh, uh, the reveal. Yeah, yeah, the reveal. Which is always fancy anyway. But um I said, Yeah, she made that. She's like, Wow. So 
the reason I bring it up is not because your art is just wow. And she said that, which is a nice compliment to hear, but also Thanks. because I think that that's a good example of the people who are walking into the door. Let's say you, the show was about historic photography and its relationship to contemporary art, mm. right? Somebody who walked in could have seen your TikToks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that the point is that they underestimate every human being who walks in. Mm -hmm. And so therefore did not give, there were so many things that you could, I mean, talk about just TikTok alone. They, they could have organized the whole damn show with TikTok memes. Like dickish men TikTok memes. We got it. I mean, really. Picasso yeah. was making bull minotaur thirst traps. That's what he was doing. Also, just like I wanna, I just wanna have a sidebar about that because bullfighting is one of the gayest fucking things I have ever seen in my goddamn life. Not just the little outfits, but they're super tight. And then it's also just like in terms of homoeroticism. Whoever loses gets penetrated. Actually, never seen. I even when clips are on in exhibitions, I turn around. I cannot. I can't. Handle. No, I hate it too. But what I do love, there's um, but there's a photo series. Fuck, it's in. My, I think it's in my Instagram archive, from the 30s of like matador men with like these torn open pants, like caressing and like caressing each other. Ooh, it's it's very gay. Um. Obviously, I'm not making a sweeping statement here that all bullfighting is gay, but like, <laughs> I've seen I've seen some media. Um, so this image from I feel like I'm gonna say this incorrectly, Beale uh, Kaplonik. So this sure. photo series is from this artist who like explored the queer kind of tones of oh, interesting uh, bullfighting culture, which is uh, very much the idea that it's like a display of masculinity. Um, and that, you know, one of the guys in this has like a huge heart on, um, in this oh, one. Really? Actually, okay. I'll text, I'll text you. Okay, great. Because, um, uh, because of the video, I'm not wearing glasses, which means I can't actually see anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do wonder, so what is your thought about every counterpoint artist was female or femme, right? Mm -hmm. It was like girls against boys. Well, I just Boy. thought it was like interesting that I think there was one transmasculine artist oh. in that um but it was in the last room from the permanent mm. collection right in that mm. like separate space it was not in any of those kind of juxtas juxtaposition spaces and i thought it kind of felt like it did a bit of a disservice to like gatsby's position like as like a a kind of queer non-binary mask present I don't, I don't want to make assumptions about their identity but like mask presenting lesbian i think is pretty pretty on par with like what we know from Gatsby over the years and you said it early on and I, I I did want to come back to it it felt extraordinarily binary mm -hmm, that's right um in a way that I think was kind of reductive and disappointing mm. um especially coming from a creator who is like now going by they them <laughs> it's mm -hmm. kind of strange but also like I kind of I recognize as someone who has like, I've only read about a quarter of uh, Gatsby's memoir, but in like watching Nanette and the follow-up show Douglas, I do have an understanding that Gatsby very much places like the extreme violence and sexual trauma and like everything that they've been through in the realm of misogyny 
And mm. I do think that they have a very clear understanding of like where misogyny is rooted. And like, I, I suppose a lot of the sexual violence that they experience is because of like how the world perceives women. Yeah, I think that so, but even then to me, I guess to me, misogyny, and that's where I also wonder, misogyny doesn't just impact women. No, I know. You know, like if you're yeah. a little boy and you don't want you, if you're even a straight white little boy and you do not want to be a jerk to girls, it still impacts you, right? Because you deal with masculinity. Well, and also like you see it, and this is something that I've kind of seen, I suppose this is kind of where we can just devolve into like TikTok chats. But like one of the things that I saw this week was like a straight presenting couple. We have no idea like who they are, but you know, she's pregnant and he's like a bit effeminate and it's oh i saw it too you saw and i went i made sure to make a positive comment i said good for you that you would go to a movie when you're 35 weeks pregnant because i could not have done that i could not have the entire comment section was queer people was queer people being like time to come out bro as if we aren't constantly fucking fighting for the idea of like gender expression and diversity of expression and then pigeonholing he could be bi and not want to be bi my first thought was here's bi erasure for you yeah exactly of the internet exactly and, but then also exactly what you said that expression you have to take people where they are mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if they say not do not out them no but also like it's just there's an extraordinary amount of misogyny rooted in that as well. The in other terms misogynistic of like people thing. going, wow, that's okay. <laughs> We're trying to be a better podcast and not talk over each other. <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> you go, 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 go. The misogyny I also saw in the comments that really made me angry was this mm. idea of attractive gay men who have unattractive beards. And she was not unattractive. She was... 35 weeks pregnant i thought you looked great for 35 weeks pregnant. but also I just felt like, like f- fuck off talking about how people look it's mm-hmm. just so strange i don't follow them but there's that couple that are super viral just because he's like traditionally hot with abs and she's fat um oh uh, yeah i know who you mean um yeah. alicia somebody McCardle? Yeah, something like alicia that McCardle, maybe? yeah something like that and like their whole tiktok presence is quite literally him justifying that he loves his fat wife, basically. McCarville. Alicia yeah. McCarville, that's it. Yep. And, like, the amount of, like, comments that they get where people are like, bro, what are you doing? You could be doing so much better, blah, blah, blah. If, like, and it's, you see it in, like, American media, too. Like, I was watching mm-hmm. Parks and Rec the other day, and there's that whole trope about how, like, Jerry has a crazy hot wife who, like... No one understands why, like, she's with him, despite the fact that that's, like, the major trope in, like, every U.S. fucking family-based sitcom ever, which is, like, a terrible fat man has crazy hot, lovely wife. Well, that's another way they could have gone with the show, right? What are the... They could have... So the, the way that I first described the show is basically showing Picasso with his contemporaries and how he was an outlier. Mm-hmm. And then, two, showing how, despite that, you cannot cancel him because he's central to our a lot of what we think about with art history and has influenced mm-hmm. artists. So then you mm-hmm. could show the artist who was influencing. And then you could show the artists who have gone beyond some of those stereotypes. Like, that's a pretty yeah. clear linear thing. But another yeah. way you could go is he's his misogyny still exists. 
Yeah. And I that's what I was thinking about when I was looking at some of the images. And, you know, a lot of like and I was saying he does like minotaur thirst traps, but a lot of the. Um, the I hate calling them a thirst trap. <laughs> um, but if you look at Picasso's, the way that he um, objectifies women's bodies is for better or worse, not so different than the way that women have to objectify themselves on TikTok to get views. You know, I was showing my husband somebody who was really hot. And I was like, if I dress like this, would I get more views? And he was like, I don't think you know how to dress like that. I think that what happened, actually, is the curator stepped in. They either should have not done anything. It should have just been straight up Hannah Gatsby. Yeah. Or else, I think it's an in-between. I actually well, that's think, I think that's the problem. It is not, It's it should have been completely not museum or totally museum. Pick one or the other. But to me, what I think would have been so useful to people is to see that the misogyny of Picasso is alive and well in our society yeah. Yeah. right that that there are and like that matador image that you sent and um that guy sure does um have an erection it's he, it's so <laughs> present it is there his pants are so tight <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Woo! Uh, I was thinking that must actually be really uncomfortable for that poor man. That's my that was my thought. I was like, that seems constricting. Anyway, um, this is now the pants lost podcast. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> sorry, it's hard to think past that. Uh, but sorry, guys, that... we've seen too many dicks before eight in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of there's been a lot. There's been a lot of man today. A lot more man than we usually have. I know. Um, but the for a lot of I think the thing that would have been useful, if I think about like what would have been the most useful thing she could do, she could have talked about um, she meaning the curator, um, oh. <laughs> I, uh, not Hannah Gatsby, because I, I don't see. think Hannah Gatsby wanted to talk about there's two she's there's two women who are curators. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hannah Gatsby or Ann Pasternak for that matter. It's all women in, in the staff, I think, that were mm. on the leadership. But um, she could have like, figured out what because that's where i think the museum really should have said like what do we want it that's why i went back to the thesis because yeah. you are right hannah gatsby had they had they have no responsibility to the audience <laughs> right like no it don't no. matter them and no. they said they didn't matter them so the curators and i'm gonna probably guess ann pasternak she should have as a as like she's the grown-up she's the grad professor here right like yeah. she yeah. should have said what is the most useful thing to the audience? Yeah. And what can we do with the funds we have, the art we have, the loans we can have, whatever it is, what can we do with all this stuff that will be useful to them? And I think that the two things that are most salient about this is mm -hmm. that misogyny, the misogyny of Picasso per, still is, has, is still alive and well in our contemporary society. And mm -hmm. two the challenge with cancel culture is that even if you cancel that human being, the pervasive roots underlying that person will exist. Well, it's so also, it's also going to platform them. And I think that's actually something yeah. Gatsby said. Like, if we cancel him, it's just going to, like, give him accolades and a story of, like, you know, someone who's right. being tossed out of the art world and it's not going to do anything. Uh. I think. I'm pretty sure. I don't but but I think so much I, in the last I found day. it fascinating that I found it fascinating that in the quotes, um, in the uh, superscripts, mm -hmm. in all of the things, the things that I thought were sort of 
his like useful were Hannah Gatsby. Mm. And they actually have no responsibility to the audience. Mm -hmm. The things you like mean that like most... all the like biting little quotes on yeah. the didactic panels? They were yeah. actually, I think, some of the best contributions to yeah. that show. Superscripts, just so I define it, are the words that are above, like the highlights. Like you don't have to, you can be a prodigy and not a genius. Oh, like the big quotes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then um, uh, on the panels and then on the labels. Panels are the big plaques and labels are the little plaques. Um, yeah. Uh, so yes, I thought that people were Such really angry about those quotes. <laughs> people, yeah, it's because of uh, size and word count and yeah. use. So in a in a real muse in a like if you were like doing museology or something, superscript should just give you like the tone of give you something that adds to it. It's sort of like mm. an epigraph mm. in a in mm -hmm. a chapter. Uh, a label should define the thing that's right next to it. Yeah. And it should be about a single thing or a group. If you have a group label, a group of artworks. And then okay. a panel should define the room. That actually really does help. <laughs> um, so people are upset about these quotes? Well, I think that, like, I've, you know, in the, like, the New York Times, and, like, I think there were a lot of people who were just like, why the fuck do we have, like, a comedian, like, with these, like, didactic panels on the wall, basically. And there was a lot of criticism about just kind of these, like, throwaway kind of offhand comments. When in reality... Like, I think what people, the people who are angry about, like, that whole structure, I think fail to realize that this is essentially an expansion of a Netflix series from, like, five years ago. I really do think that it is that Netflix special turned into an exhibition. I don't think that mm. it's, a, I don't think that it's a Did step Netflix away. Did Netflix sponsor it? I don't know, but they definitely, like... I don't think they did, but they definitely like gave footage, like branded footage to the museum. So, because the decompression room where you're watching yeah. clips of Gatsby talking about art and men and patriarchy and trauma and all that kind of stuff has a big Netflix fucking logo slapped across it up in the top right corner, which I thought was so jarring in an art space. It was really, really strange to walk in and see like the commercialism of Netflix <laughs> on so a Netflix, video feed. Netflix, I don't I think mean, they sponsored. They might have no. They might have comped that rights yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, but it's not listed in the pan in the panel. So it I, didn't, been... I didn't see it out the front either. So I assume yeah. no. So it would be it's um so it's part of this group exhibition. So I'm guessing that they must have gotten mm. something. Uh, sorry, the 70, Picasso celebration, 1973 to 2023, 50 exhibitions and events to celebrate Picasso. Um, and that one has the Musée Picasso Paris, the French culture ministry, and then the Spanish culture ministry. ministry. Um, but it looks like the support for the exhibition are Tom Healy and Fred Hochberg, as well as Clara Bingham and Joseph G. Finnerty the third, those to get name recognition on that panel means those people gave some money. Money, yeah. Um, so to go back to the quotes, I do think, um, I think people that a lot of this was sour grapes, right? Like these people who are writing art critics. I mean, how many of them wish they were curators first, right? I think some I of it was sour grapes, right? Like. <laughs> Yes, I get it. You can't curate at the Brooklyn Museum. Neither can I. So like, there were, let's go, let's move. Okay. So that was one of it. I think, again, it's, I think that the people who were on the museum side kind of set up Hannah Gatsby accidentally. Their quotes were useful. Like, um, here's one. Picasso said, you can have all the perspectives at once. What a hero. But tell me, are there any of those perspectives a woman's? Well, then I am not interested. Hannah Gatsby.
Yeah. That I'm I sure think that's from is... the net as well. Oh, maybe, yeah. Um, that's in the, it's at the beginning of the web content. But yeah. that quote is useful. Yeah. And they are saying, basically, that's a very useful quote. Now, as a museum pro, uh, she should have, they should have, um, whoever, I don't know, like, how it, I just wonder how, how it came to pass. Yeah. But um, somebody should have <laughs> made a better decision to make sure that the show um, supported that quote. I would even have loved to have seen, because like one of the things that Gatsby really talks about is that like you're considered like the grandfather of creating art from all perspectives and yet you're like one of the most outrageous misogynists that's ever existed. Uh, yeah. And that was like one of the kind of main points that Gatsby has always kind of held against Picasso, which is like you you create this work that is fundamentally about what you do not live or execute mm. in your own life mm. and if it had been curated around like mm. multiple perspectives even i think it would have been mm. like that would have been far more interesting because i would have loved to have seen more artists that i think reflect like the diversity of experience of people who are marginalized and that's like and i do wonder how much of like, I really want to know who who decided on the, like, the lineup of artists because I know that some of them have appeared in, like, Gatsby's kind of uh, back background images when touring. Like oh, the, really? Only one of them. Only one of them. It's, God, who was it? The, the bodies that look like trees with the arrows that are a reference to... St. Sebastian? Yeah. The Louise uh, Bourgeois. Those ones, I think, in Gatsby's latest comedy special, one of them is in the background. Oh. And that image seems to, like, have a personal significance, I I am assuming. But, like, I, I don't, we don't know, like, who made those choices, right? No, and, like, who don't. to include. I mean, Louise Bourgeois is sort of a, a perfect example because Louise Bourgeois pushes against... Um, uh, misogyny and yeah. you know had a very sort of fraught relationship with uh, her father yeah. um and i would and is our you know like sword i'm trying to see when louise bourgeois was born um she was born in 11 so she would have overlapped with mm. picasso right mm. um so so that i think and that's a good example of somebody where i was like okay i get it they're living in yeah. the same time period yeah um and i know that so one of the one's criticisms like was yeah. that they didn't use the Louise Bourgeois as well as they could have. Mm -hmm. um, I do think it's interesting. The thing I think is interesting if ha um, that Hannah Gatsby says woman in that quote, mm. um, which I wonder if part of the challenge is that Hannah ba Gatsby is non-binary, but talking about women and Picasso. Well, up and up until I think it's up until like only the last year or so that uh, uh, was actually I, like identified as like a. I see. A, like a, a woman and a lesbian I see. um i really and had like a lot of people coming up to them at shows being like wow you really are representing the trans community and was just kind of like i don't i don't know what the fuck you're talking about like i'm, I'm a lesbian so i i also it's for one of the things that's kind of strange to me as well as kind of seeing like how the language of that gender shift has like no one's made space for that 
for well it's also because exhibitions take so long to build labels could have been done like so when did this open yeah right Uh, so like like if you think about it yeah if you think about it labels should have been done a couple months before that they should have been in production almost nine months before that Mm -hmm. um so that it could and but that that shows that and this is where i think that the challenge also exists in museums that the processes are so slow it takes five years to plan an exhibition often um that the processes are so slow and media is so fast, right? Yeah. I think that- 24 hour turnaround in media. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was putting, I put up two videos about the smoke and and art Mm, mm -hmm. and I put them both up on the same day and the second one didn't do that well because it looked as if it was the same video because I had the same sort of background. And, but I wanted to put it up because I was like, it's not going to matter tomorrow. I think the summary to me is what I'm saddened by for this exhibition is it could have been so much better. It could have been so much better. And I just think that Hannah Gatsby is not at fault because Hannah Gatsby is not a museum professional. And so I think that the museum professionals I actually do wonder if they approached it as a joke. (laughs) Like, I really am like, did you Did it open on April 1st? Because that would be amazing. (laughs) Like, did you... Did you maybe come into this and just be like, what the fuck? Like, I'm a Netflix comedian who's been offered an art show. This is absurd. And especially because like, so I've funny read... is museum pros cannot have such a poor sense of humor. I like, know, no. they're so serious. And like, one of the funniest fucking things like in this autobiography from Gatsby is like describing becoming famous and going to Hollywood and having like Jennifer Aniston coming up and being like, wow, you're such an incredible feminist. I haven't read your book. Or like senior special, but I've heard so much about you, blah blah blah. And Gatsby just being like, "All right then," <laughs> just like doesn't really have the kind of experience, I guess, to kind of be navigating these Hollywood spaces where people are so fake, right? And they're like, "Oh, you're the new like like celebrity person who's got all the opinions and blah blah blah." And like, I love your work. I've never seen it, but I can't wait to see it. And they're just kind of being like, "Why am I here?" I do think a lot of why Hannah Gatsby was chosen is that, actually. I I was thinking about it because I was trying to explain this podcast, uh, (laughs) what we were going to do to Joe, because I was reading labels with him yesterday. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I'm surprised he hasn't turned up. He's he's gardening. He's out in the garden. Um, But he's also working out his rage in the garden. He's working out his rage. He is, in fact, working (laughs) out his rage. Um, Because I think that both of us coming out of museum stuff, you know, I I, th- I think that one of the things that we worked a lot on trying to transform museums in different ways to make them yeah. more community focused. Mm-hmm. And what I think is very sad is this kind of thing where you do this basically stunt. Yeah. Proves to museum stunt. people, right? You do proves yeah. to museum people. We you see this didn't work. Yeah. Or worse, see for it proves to critics it doesn't work. It proves to bad museum directors it does work. And so it puts museum professionals into a very tough position, mm. right? Like they're constantly going to have to come up with some other cuckoo thing. And it's too bad that... But it also cheapens the work of the communities yes. that they're trying to service, exactly. right? Because exactly. Like when, you, when, you, and when you've got like essentially white people in like museums and positions of power that are kind of like, well... But also this is like the world that we live in, right? And this is kind of one of the reasons why I don't want to totally discard this is because 
there is no opportunity for these actual discussions of like why the fuck are we platforming these same five artists over and over again to end up in museum spaces like we so rarely see that and if the thesis was if the show was why the fuck are we platforming picasso yeah. that would have been a great show i agree why the fuck like that just answer that goddamn question but like if it? if it had been done in a way where it wasn't a stunt then i think that like it would have exactly. like it would have actually fucking done something and yes. like yes i but the thing is like i don't i don't want essentially i kind of feel like i'm i'm working in a museum right where i'm like i don't want it to be totally discarded because i don't want there to be no opportunities for people to kind of explore what engaging with art outside of the context of stuff shut fucking academics looks like and yeah, like yeah but what i think the show has in the discourse around it and all the criticism it makes it feel like pretty much proved to oh lots of people museums can't change well also, That's i don't, I don't know if they I want to like. change is the yeah, thing right yeah i mean i think that that is sort of true too but I think that it looks like museums can't change. I think there's a lot of museums that are changing. But yeah. I think that this kind of show for critics, for visitors, if visitors, I mean, what were visitors saying? Were they like, oh, I get it? Or were they like, huh? There seemed to be, there were some people who really lingered. Like, I've never seen people read wall labels <laughs> as much as I have at this fucking show. But that could show. also be, see, the but the label reading could also be because they didn't understand. It could be. It could we be. We don't know why they were reading them, right? I I don't know. It could have been reading them because they were like, I already read the critics and I don't understand what's like, why people are upset. They could be reading for a lot of reasons. It's seen. So from what I understood, I think a lot of people were coming in, especially in the last week in response to the criticism. And it was more to see like, what Mm. is the fuss about? Yes. Um, Yes. Which I think maybe is. And also because there was just a lot of fucking text compared to other stuff that you've seen Yeah, that was also interesting to me. Yeah. It was like the, I thought it was really, I thought... Looking back, mm-hmm. it seems like kind of almost a lazy way to include Gatsby's voice, mm. like across it, right? Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen more from their undergrad and like their studies and like mm-hmm. their reflections of what it was like to be studying mm-hmm. art under these kinds of these structures that we have and these people who are continuously platformed because like I understand the frustration and the rage because clearly they've got a lot of fucking insight into media literacy and culture and art Mm -hmm. and misogyny and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff right Mm -hmm. which is what happens when you've been (sighs) marginalized and repeatedly fucking brutalized by men in the world but like Mm -hmm. it just I do, I do keep thinking about what you said before, right, about like including contemporary misogyny and just like, what would it have looked like if there were like large scale video channels of contemporary like misogyny on the internet? Yeah. Kind of like the ripple effects. And also, you know, I mean, I do think Picasso was, I think she is right in saying Picasso was like a jerk back then too. Yeah. But I think Picasso was seen as a jerk. But also but not a misogynist. You know, I'm sure that by the seven, like by his last few years, people are like, well, that's a little, that's beyond the pale. But in mm-hmm. his early years, I don't think people saw it as beyond the pale. Mm-hmm. I think that not all men were like that. Mm. But pe- in, in his early years, men, some men were just jerks, right? Like, I mean, if you think about advertising from that era, 
Mm-hmm. It, it well into the 50s, 60s, you see casual misogyny in text, right? So oh, yeah. we know we know that misogyny, I think she she's uh, sorry, they are right in saying that Picasso was um, a an dick. outlier. Yeah. yeah, an outlier, but not. I think that what has happened is the level of the how outlying, how far out, I guess I should say, um, how far out Picasso is to our contemporary concept is further because totally. the kinds of misogyny we allow now are the low level misogyny of Picasso, the casual misogyny. Yeah, well, it's the, considered the, mostly wrong to pursue 17 year olds now. Yes, it is considered mostly wrong to do that. It is also considered mostly wrong to have grapey fantasies. Mm-hmm. Um, Depending on the social circles. You yes, correct, 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 correct. That's true. That is very true. I mean, that's the other thing. I think Picasso was more the norm. Yeah. And now is the, you know, I won't, I won't say abnormal, but, you know, like, you know, out, outlier now. Mm. I, but I, I think that there was all of these points, you know, like, I think to go back to what you said earlier, why do we keep platforming these five guys? Well, because even in the thing that kind of gets me and the reason, like, why I'm so glad I spoke to those staff members and one person mm-hmm. that one, I'm, ne- I'm never going to say their name, but one mm-hmm. person was just kind of like, this was very deliberately to bring in money. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the that's the thing I really for me I really couldn't get past. Like I knew the whole time I was there that it was kind of just virtue signaling from a museum. Mm-hmm. 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 And I, as a once museum pro, think <laughs> there is nothing wrong with doing something that brings in money. No. But but to, it felt you better do it for the good for your mission. So if you're if yeah. it does not if you're only bringing in money and it does not you know it does not um, push your mission or it does not push your mission forward, mm-hmm. that is a problem. And if you're and every museum's charge is preservation and education about their collection. Mm-hmm. Right, so your that that exhibition better be either <laughs> bringing in money because you are furthering preservation and or education. Mm-hmm. And to me, the problem was it fell down in terms of education because they had so much opportunity. They have this giant platform, yep, and and they didn't use it. Did the Pablo Tastic exhibition show anything positive about the problematic? Pablo Tastic. That's that's the counter exhibition. <laughs> did the Pablomatic exhibition? I just like showed my hand, but did they show anything positive about the work of Picasso? I don't know. I don't think so. And it was like an established because the thing is, like, you come into it with an established understanding of the position, right? Which is like another thing that's kind of different about mm. this compared to other shows. Mm. Is that if you've seen that special or if you know the media from Gatsby, then you kind of are coming into it with an understanding of what to expect Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. or at least the tone. Because I do think in many ways that is, that is also the challenge with sort of cancel culture Yeah, that if you, if you don't show the whole person, 
then you're open to the criticism that you're mm. not showing the whole person. And Picasso, mm. for better, for worse, really did do a lot of, he did do a lot of things about art. You know, his just his showmanship alone yeah. was, I mean, I don't think you could have Jeff Koons without Picasso. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> I don't know if that means he did something good for the world, but um, no. You couldn't but have like, You couldn't have a lot of named artists because of without Picasso. But that, I think that's kind of like one of the, especially after listening to all the audio stuff. I really mm -hmm. do believe that's like Gatsby's kind of position. That like mm -hmm. personally, we wouldn't be in this shit show if it wasn't for this fucking cunt. Like. That, especially in the last room and the audio bits in the last room, uh, where they're kind of just like, you, sh you should be angry because like, this is just a glimpse of what we're missing out on because this fuckwit essentially is their tone is like the reason that we're living in this like art industrial complex. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that wasn't explicitly stated. I'm so curious what this is going to do on the inverse side. And on the flip side to like public entertainer figures and like is there gonna be i i am so curious if there's gonna be this like pendulum like effect and kind of like thing that goes the other way where now do people who just have an opinion about art matter suddenly it'd like, be nice if they did i mean there are people like i could see Neil Gaiman do working with a Vike, a, a curator of you know Norse art, mm, mm -hmm. right? I th I think to me that 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 that's what I mean. Wouldn't it be nice if it opened up new voices if they did it in a way that was actually very impactful? You know, this is why we keep seeing like Frida Kahlo and Keith Haring and Basquiat and Van Gogh mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Picasso. Mm -hmm. That's literally mm -hmm. the five that we see over and over mm -hmm. and over and over and over mm -hmm. again because mm -hmm. you've got mm -hmm. your queer guy you've got like your ethnically ambiguous woman you've got the black man right you've got the the mentally ill man and you've got the misogynist it's the archetypes right it's like yeah. that we have these archetypes that we need to just conform to yeah because it's easy to understand it's easy to market it's easy to sell yeah. Um, speaking of easy, considerable <laughs> things, let's let's end with what we always end with. With do we have any media recommendations for this week? Because my Sorry. media recommendation um, goes really to that. <laughs> my media recommendation goes to that because uh, my media recommendation is by the artist Françoise Gillot, who died mm. this week, and she was a painter. She was also the mother of three of Picasso's children. And mm -hmm. she wrote a book called Life with Picasso, which is actually a very tough read, I would say. Um, oh, fucking bad. It was a real tough read. Um, was it like devastating to read? It's pretty awful. It's from 89. Um, mm. And uh, she was 21 when Picasso was 62. And they met during the German occupation of Paris. Oh, sorry, two children, not three. I had to look. I read this quite a long time ago, and I had to stop in between. Still too, too many. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, um. It's, it's terrible. It's really awful. And I think it brings up the fact that despite being awful, he was, throughout it, you see, like, treated as a genius. I know. Even though she was 
you know, and she is known so often as the wife of the, I don't remember if they, uh, she's his wife. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, um, I, I remember having, I was reading it because there's a book by O'Brien, it's a biography of Picasso Mm -hmm. and I, uh, no, they never got officially married. Um, um, and I read this right afterwards and it's so interesting to see this and how, you know, how much the ethos of Picasso was because people, It's it goes back to what Hannah Gatsby says. Why do people pick somebody? It was, he was a sure bet. Mm. Or Picasso was a sure bet for collectors. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, yeah, that's basically what they say. Um, yeah. in one of the audio things too, like he's, yeah. he's a safe choice yeah. because it's like, it's always something that there's going to be an industry around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have a media recommendation this week? Do you recommend Nanette? I mean, the special was groundbreaking for a reason. What reason Um, would you say that is? I don't think that Netflix or, like, mainstream media has ever really made space for such overt discussions of sexual trauma Mm. in that way. And I, I do, and I think that that's one of the reasons that Gatsby is kind of considered to be so clever and is like a Peabody winner, right? Is because they took the institution of comedy that exists essentially for, like, you know, either people to process trauma or for people to exert horrible kinds of things um, and ideas out into the world, like Louis C.K., right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And they took this whole structure of comedy and kind of, and this is like why the autistic brain is so fantastic, right? If you're interested and if you think you can cope with it, I would watch it because it's quite fascinating seeing Mm -hmm. how. It is fascinating. Like this person who does not think the way that other people think was like, this is the journey I'm going to take you on. I'm actually going to take you through like what I'm telling you is comedy, but it's like, it's kind of trauma dumping, it's cultural mm-hmm. critique, it's like mm-hmm. art history. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't think that, especially kind of coming up in Australia where, you know, you go through rural Australia, you drive through rural Australia to get between major cities, which I've done many times in my life. Mm-hmm. And in truck stop bathrooms, there are just so many posters being like, hey, mate, it's wrong to hit women. You can't do that. Like, it's still in rural Australia is extraordinarily present in smaller towns and communities, just like Mm. outright misogyny Wow, in a way where like, yeah, no, they have to be like local councils being like, you will get arrested if you like engage in domestic violence. Like it's illegal. Wow. It's illegal to hit women. Um, I mean, not that America is so great, but I don't know that I've, I mean, I haven't spent that much time in rural but like, when America. was the last time you saw like a public service from any kind yeah, of like no, local council in America that's like, hey man, maybe mm-hmm. your patriarchy and misogyny isn't a good idea? Like, there is that sign somewhere in rural America that was on TikTok: uh, "If you're drunk, don't sleep with your daughter." I did not know that. That's very upsetting. Um, yeah, somewhere in the south, and I was like, whoa, that better be a wow. Is that a public also, service or a joke? I would also put in for a media recommendation 
but the staff that talked to you at the Brooklyn Museum, there's other art there. Oh, yeah, that's my, you know, I think that's a huge media recommendation. They have, for example, Judy Chicago, who has her own problems, um, her dinner Mm -hmm. party installed Mm -hmm. there. They they have amazing collections. They actually have have a lot of very good interpretation there. I think their Egyptian galleries are interpreted very well Mm -hmm. um i would you know i would say go support every museum doing weird things that aren't necessarily the thing that's being written about yeah you know i think that most museums are trying their best most museum pros even if they're doing a stunt like this it's because they need the money and yeah. so think about that. Think about how museums are being forced to do that. Also, every time you see any interactive, know some poor person on that staff wanted you to get a chance to do something different. Feel for that person. Tell, Put it in the comment book that you liked it. Feel did for you, all those poor museum staff members. Did you like that I photographed the I did. response cards? <laughs> I, um, I did. Someone said fluid and powerful. Someone said degender art everywhere. Hmm. Um, someone said let the men burn. Someone said he is a genius and we and we love him. You see too much, which I thought was. You, wow, they really like they really there's a tell in that statement. You see too much. OK, why did you see what you're supposed to see? <laughs> Someone said food for thought. Someone drew a flower that said water me, which I kind of liked. Um, someone said, fucking A, mate. Good shit. Love from an Aussie. <laughs> was that a fake one? That was real. Do you think that was, do you think somebody was like pretending? They also no. put Barbie. <laughs> no, I think, I know. It's like, so Australians, you know, I've said this before. Yes. We have like a cultural identity that <laughs> is like kind of a joke overseas. Yeah. Um, in a way where like people, people, this is why people don't understand like white Australia. So I, I do genuinely think it's real because when we see each other, we're kind of like, hey, hey, yeah. Um, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, exactly. Um, someone said, let's give praise to the revolutions women started. Well, that's a great ending to this very um, convoluted <laughs> review of Pablomatic um, by <laughs> Hannah Gadsby. You got it. You did it. <laughs> I did it. I did it correctly. I said it right. I said it right. Uh, as always, you could follow us on TikTok at artlust underscore podcast mm. or me, Sima, at A-R-T-L-U-S-T or Sophie at Darkroom Varmint. Darkroom, V-A-R-M-I-N-T. Sometimes could... I think I should change it to Darkroom Rat, but I don't know. You could. Oh, it's already done. I think we're sort of stuck now with both of us. <laughs> no, um true. I also think you could follow us on our um, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, do the Apple Podcasts thing, rate, review, subscribe, leave comments. Um, those things really, really, really help us. But also, like, tell a friend. That's right. Tell Share with a friend. your friend. And when we do start posting and reposting uh, content from our Artlast page, which should be coming out this week, I've got a couple of things in the pipeline. Um mm. Give us, you know, give us a, give us a, re- uh, what the fuck is it called? A repost mm. um, and help us out because uh, we really do love talking about art and culture. Um, and next week, oh man, I've got more follow-ups on Upsetting Australians that I can share in our next recording. We're going to, we're, we're going to be the only two Americans who have a, like a, 
uh, like very, uh, <laughs> we're going to be like speaking only to the Australian population at some point. Somebody <laughs> wanted us to do an episode also about Indigenous Australian art. Oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, I would and love somebody to... wants us to do one about our favorite artists. Ooh, okay. That's a hard one. We'll have to Ooh. prep for both. All right. All right. Thank you for listening. Shit, gang, that was a lot. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope that we all profit and learn something from the $10 I spent on doing that show. <laughs> if nothing else, you got a good couple sound bites. <laughs>